Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this story. And ladies who attend Calvary Mac, you are going to probably recognize this lady, my guest tonight. My guest tonight is Patty, and she has been visiting Calvary Mac oh my goodness, for as long as I've been there sharing about some ministry that she's involved in. And I'm going to let her explain all of that to you. But I was so grateful that the last time she came to visit, I was able to tell her a little bit about this story night ministry and ask if she had any interest in sharing her story on the podcast. And thankfully, she said yes right away. (laughs) So thank you so much for doing that, Patty, and for preparing to share your story with us. Uh, But before we go through your whole life story, I was hoping you would introduce Introduce yourself to the listeners and just tell them a little bit of who you are and what you're doing in your life today. Yes, indeed. And I'm grateful that I did this. I have given copies to my children. I think this is an important ingredient for all of us to be able to view God's faithfulness and goodness to us and, and to me in particular, but it sure is us over the years. We have been here at the Flying H Youth Ranch for 37 plus years. Flying H Youth Ranch was established in 1962 by a minister who had eight children himself, four troubled boys, boys who are in trouble with the law, with home, with school. And so we've been going since 1962 here, and we joined in in 1984. And we came directly from McMinnville. When we came to the Flying H Youth Ranch, and we, at that point, Calvary Mac was McMinnville Christian Center, and we came from there. We lived right next door to the church uh, in what is now a housing development, but we walked to the church for two years. We loved it. Our roles here at the ranch have been primarily educational, but because we have a small staff and we have boys 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we do everything. So uh, Jim is pri- has primarily been education, but then he would would also be on duty with boys, uh, either in a sleep shift or a work crew shift, or he's gone on survival hikes. I, my duties have primarily been education. I love the English teaching and also the food service and domestic services, which means a lot of cooking and cleaning and whatever else needs to happen with facilities, keeping things looking adequate for the health department and for our guests. (laughs) So that's basically what I've done over the years and have loved it. We live on ranch. We don't, the boys do not live with us in our homes, which has made us able to be uh, long-termers here. We, they are housed in a dorm, and then we come in shifts, which gives us all breathing room. You know, it's one thing to say what you do, but to really live it is 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 pretty remarkable. And I know that you had such a calling and you have such a heart to do a, a hard, but I imagine very rewarding job. So let's let's go back uh, to the beginning because 
I always am so fascinated to hear how people get into their certain ministry callings and we we got to start at the beginning. So I invite you now to tell us tell us your life story. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I as you talked to me that Sunday in October, right then I was having boys memorize the road not taken. And that's one of that's been one of my delights actually over the years is that I have them memorize the boys in class in English class memorize standard poems, standard traditional poems. And Robert Frost is one that we do. And and they were memorizing this at the time. And I thought, you know, this is a good way to recap my life is to go over that poem. And I'm going to read the poem or, to you so that you can hear what I was thinking of that day. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Well, that's my story. I'm now in the ages and ages hence part of my life. And I feel like I can highlight the roads and the decisions that I made going way back that has made all the difference in my life with where I stand now. The first decisions actually were made by both sets of my grandparents who gave themselves to following Jesus. I'm a third-generation Jesus follower. It was my grandparents who came before. On my mother's side, her parents were both from bitterly divorced homes at the turn of the 20th century. As uh, teenagers, they took a different path. On my dad's side, uh, he was the second oldest, whereas my mom was one of the youngest. My dad was the second oldest in a family of eight. And after a 10-year drought in South Dakota in the 1930s, they moved to Minnesota. And uh, those who knew them at that time described them as very, very poor, coming out of that Dust Bowl, out of the Dust Bowl years in South Dakota in the 30s. The local church in Minnesota then had a food shower for them to help them make it through their first winter. And that began a relationship with this local church. And they had a very vibrant youth group, interestingly. And the pastor of this little church was a farmer, like most of his congregation. And in fact, he did not take a salary at that time. So out of this youth group that truly was a vibrant youth group emerged many foreign and home missionaries and pastors And this is where my dad's family, one by one, came to Jesus. The name of the church was Mildred Bible Chapel. 
And eventually, that's where I grew up, at Mildred Bible Chapel. My uh, dad was in his late teens when he came to Jesus. My mother, early on, because her family grew up with the scripture and, and with prayer and with the church meeting in their home. But these decisions of those who have gone before me have made all the difference in my life. I'm the second oldest of six kids raised on a small dairy farm in northern Minnesota. Mildred Bible Chapel was only three miles from the farm. And we were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, release time from school, and any other time the doors were open. And because cows need constant tending, we never traveled far from home. We rarely had a vacation. If we did, it was to nearby North Dakota for an overnight. So church was our social life, our spiritual life. It was our all-around second family. We were very close to everyone in the church, probably about 100, 150 people there. And we loved it all. At a very young age, my brother, sister, and I sang trios for the church. Those were the days, my friend, when church music was far more about participation than performance. And as little kids, we did some pretty uh, courageous, but not necessarily very perfect performing. And we were encouraged to sing and play our instruments in church. And we loved all of those illustrated Sunday school songs and flannel graph lessons. I can still picture those Sunday school rooms. And we loved all the special meetings and the wonderful singing and piano playing. I learned to play the piano so that I could play hymns for the congregation. That was my incentive. At about five years old, and I can remember this clearly, I uh, prayed with mom in her bedroom to receive Jesus so I wouldn't go to hell. Yes, and I clearly remember that that was the motivation. I chose Jesus over the devil. Now, several times after that, during times of fear or doubt or guilt, I prayed again. I really mean it this time, I would say. I really mean it this time. But that time with mom was my initial introduction. I I did grow up with my dad reading the Bible to us daily and mom and dad praying through the family and for the missionaries, all the missionaries and the leaders of the church. They prayed for the family every day, daily until their deaths a few years ago. And, you know, we squirmed under that and complained about it as kids, but am I ever grateful for that at this point? I remember that it was about 12, when I was 12 years old, I became very serious about reading the Bible and praying. I remember feeling conviction about doing wrong things. I can remember dreaming about heaven. And because my mother was very serious about the qualifications for taking communion, the brethren, where she was raised, called it the breaking of bread. She let me take communion soon after this. We didn't just get to take communion wherever we wanted it. She, We were pretty closely monitored. We had missionaries from Africa, Asia, South America, in our church regularly and many times in our home. And we had week-long missions conferences every year at our church, combining with a few other churches. There would be a call at the end of the conferences for young people to dedicate their lives to serving God, especially in foreign missions. You guessed it, I dedicated my life to missions. 
Those decisions set me early in my teens on a road less traveled. I memorized loads of Bible verses and passages of, of Scripture in Sunday school, and I also memorized them in order to go to a rural Bible crusade camp in the summer. This was a camp mainly for farm kids whose parents didn't have a lot of money who could uh, memorize 300 verses to go to camp. And we did, and we had a wonderful time. In high school, I carried my Bible every day. I wrote Bible verses on the board, if allowed. And I was probably known more for what I refused to participate in, but I had a, had great fellowship in my church and youth group. Because my pastor of uh, Mildred Bible Chapel was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, I visited the school and applied to go there. That's in Chicago, and that was about 12 hours away from the farm. I was accepted, and in the fall of 1969, I became the first in my church to attend Moody. Because I rarely left the farm, homesickness almost overwhelmed me the first semester there in a huge city of Chicago that was just recovering from the riots of 1968. But soon I got involved in the life of the school and eventually absolutely loved it. My major at Moody was Foreign Missions. At that time, Moody was a three-year school with only diplomas given out on graduation. Therefore, most of us, after we graduated, transferred to another school to get a degree. My interest has always been English, so I decided to pursue a degree in teaching English, and then to apply to teach overseas in a missionary kids' school. I transferred to my home state, Minnesota, and attended Bemidji State College in the frigid north. I really did enjoy it there. There were dog races on Lake Bemidji, and it was just a different experience. It was quite a shock coming from a Christian campus to a hippie party school. The saving grace was uh, for me is that I did not live on campus. I lived in an apartment with two other Christian girls and also the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship group that met weekly there, and we were together a lot. I was soon very involved, and I joined a singing group that traveled to churches throughout the year. It was We truly did have our own subculture within the larger university culture. My significant road less traveled during that year at Bemidji was yielding to the Holy Spirit. This was during the time of the charismatic renewal of the early 70s. My upbringing and training at Moody caused me to be very wary of these wild-eyed fanatics. What challenged me, however, was their love and hunger for the scriptures and the availability, their availability to help fellow students. I decided to study for myself, and I read John chapters 14 through 17, the books of, book of Acts, and 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 over and over and over. I finally came to the conclusion that I truly did need to yield to the Holy Spirit. Because of my Plymouth Brethren background, now, if those of you who don't understand the Plymouth Brethren, they take very seriously the verse in the Bible that says women are to be silent in the church. 
And uh, so it's very, very strongly men-led. And because of that being in my background, I asked for a few InterVarsity brothers to pray with me. And I'll have to say that the chief evidence of God's presence and the Holy Spirit's presence was an overflowing freedom to not have to judge everybody and everything. I was still wary of tongues, quote unquote, and the Lord was gracious with me. I believe one of the chief reasons for this this road that I traveled, that not all travel, was that I was to marry a young man who had yielded to Jesus during the charismatic renewal in the Catholic Church. And I'll have to say that my upbringing labeled Catholicism a cult for the most part. I'm so glad you're mentioning the different groups, different uh, denominations, maybe is the right word, because there's so many people, one, that aren't familiar with any of them, or that are only familiar with one. And it's very easy for us to become completely divided, live in our own little island, and fairly, you know, severely judge the the others, if you will. And there are certainly different styles. And it's, it's kind of tragic how sometimes you watch a group that's supposed to be united, this united group of Christians and just, you know, kind of go to blows over, over some very basic things like what kind of music to play or, you know, I mean, there's certainly things that are theological and that are a big deal, but there are so many others that are really, really minor in some ways to be so divided over. And I think it's amazing to watch how you kind of experience different ways to have a relationship with God. Well, in fact, Jessica, I feel like I was not, I don't think I sought this. I think I was presented with it and had a choice to make. And I could have stayed in my religious narrow road and missed out on a lot in my life. I really felt pushed to this by it would have to be the Holy Spirit himself as you as I read further on you'll you'll see what I mean. I knew I had I could say no any time and I am so glad I did not. So that was I would say the highlight of my year at Bemidji but you have to know, I, I planned on graduating from Bemidji State, but that summer I spent in Dallas, Texas, leading a group of 10 girls whom I had recruited during the year at Bemidji. I had recruited a group of 10 girls to sell books, a book company from Nashville, Tennessee, that uh, recruits college students to sell books door to door. I have to tell you that this company ruled Christian students with uh, through guilt. You gave your word, you know, so you had better. But I hated selling books and I had gotten talked into doing it a second year, but I hated it. Uh, it did get me out of Minnesota. <laughs> I, I will also say that it gave me inroads into homes and families that ended up being a great blessing to me that summer in Dallas. 
one of the guilt trips that was put on me was that I had to tell tell the girls that they had to get to the sales meeting even if they had to hitchhike. Some of the girls could not get to a sales meeting because we don't we didn't have all of us didn't have cars. And that was so wrong. It went against my conscience. And I still I told them what I felt like I had to tell them being under authority and giving my word. Eventually, I believe that is that broke something in me that that caused an emotional breakdown later on. At one point, a house whose door I knocked on, I knocked on the door of a Dallas Theological Seminary student, and uh, he took me through the differences between guilt and conviction. And that was so important for me. I did not see the difference before that. The guilt is such a heavy cloud, heavy black cloud that you can't see past. And no matter what you do, you have this big thing on your shoulders. Whereas conviction gives you a way out. It's a light, shows you what you can do to be free. That really, really helped me. And I, at that point, I quit talking to the headquarters in Nashville. And I finished the summer by enjoying God's people (laughs) and delivering books to the people who had purchased them so far. And during that summer, many godly women prayed with me. There was a, a dentist who took my roommate and I into his home, and he eventually took us to a full gospel business, businessmen's meeting. And I sat at a table with a dentist, a podiatrist, a lawyer, and several other professionals, and they encouraged me to pray in the spirit. That was the, their term without having to control everything in my head. Well, asking the Lord to protect me from anything that was not of him, I did. These were not uneducated, weird, mentally unstable men I prayed with, and I prayed with them. And I am not flamboyant. I am not easily handing this out about a prayer language But I can tell you that at specific times in my life following that, when I was overwhelmed or undecided or lacking courage and power, when I prayed in that quote-unquote prayer language, I saw God intervene or give me insight and wisdom. When I returned to Bemidji that fall, I found that I I could not study. Now that would have, I was beginning my fifth year of college by that time. And of course, I had participated in every extracurricular thing I could up to that point. I tend to be a high energy person. But I started crying at the drop of a hat, kept away from people. And that summer of selling books and being responsible for 10 girls who lived all over Dallas took my emotions to a breaking point, and eventually I dropped out of school before I failed all my classes. I had, I just had nothing to give. And my mother welcomed me home to the farm, and she has always said that what happened to me is I had a nervous breakdown. Probably true. And for two months, I stayed away from people, and I walked the farm for hours and hours at a time. And the Lord met me. 
One thing I was fixated on at that time was that I was not married. How old was I? All of 22 or 23, something like that. And I had thought I would be married when I graduated from Moody, and I wasn't. And on these walks, I had uh, walking with the Lord. I can still see the place where I, I, where the Lord met me with this one. I heard the Lord plainly tell me that I was looking for the wrong person. And I'll have to explain that because my family is tall. I was looking for a tall guy. And because I thought a missionary or a preacher needed to be dynamic, I don't know a better word, I, I was looking for an extrovert who could change the world. And I heard God clearly say, you're looking the wrong place. And I was both disappointed and relieved. And after a couple of months in uh, January of 1974, I took a job as, as a waitress at a local cafe so I could give my mind a rest, but I was fully planning to go back and finish my degree. At that time, I really asked the Lord, to, especially in January, I asked him for, to highlight, give me a specific word that was for me so that I, I for specific direction. And I got it. It was as if uh, lights were flashing as this verse came off the page to me. It's uh, Proverbs twenty three seventeen, And it says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. And that may not say much to you, but it said everything to me. I knew. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that my heart's cry for a husband would be answered. I could trust him. I also started praying to have a friend who was a guy who was just that, just a friend. The end of February, a group of teachers from the local school came into the restaurant and I waited on them. My high school history teacher was among them and Jim Freed was also among them. My teacher told Jim he needed to get to know me, and Jim started talking to me, and I found out he was a newly committed to Jesus Christian, having prayed with a believing priest at a charismatic Catholic prayer meeting. Jim was raised in a Catholic family, both sides. He was raised in a parochial school, went to a uh, only went to public high school for four years of high school, and he attended a Catholic University, St. John's University in uh, Minnesota. So he was very Catholic. <laughs> Jim had not grown much in the Lord following his commitment to Jesus, but he wanted to. Well, here was an answer to my prayer, a guy friend who needed me. Jim is an inch taller than me, and at the time I weighed 20 pounds more than him. Romance was not in my mind, but friendship was. And I started taking him to every Bible study I could. I gave him books to read. I brought him home for my parents to love on. Jim had moved 150 miles from his hometown to my area, having purchased a little acreage up there, and he was very lonely. Within a couple of months, Jim made it clear that he wanted more than a friendship. 
which was decision time for me. I heard the Lord clearly say to me, don't throw this away. I didn't, and we were married June 1st, 1974. You can count it. I didn't know him very long from the first time I set my eyes on him. We were married at home on the farm. My standard for a simple marriage was the story of Isaac and Rebecca. She came, found Isaac in the field, got off her camel, and Isaac took her into his tent and was comforted after his mother's death. Yeah. Well, ladies who are listening, who are in that waiting period for marriage, you know, you, you might try that approach. Just get on a camel somewhere and, and ride and see who you find. <laughs> I don't recommend it to anyone else. <laughs> not my children. Uh, it was the different circumstances. I was not pre. Everything was so different than what I had thought would happen. You know, in my life, especially where marriage was. So, I was glad for it to be that way. I have to put an aside here. I finally did finish my degree, my English degree, but it was with uh, Liberty University's long-distance learning many years later after the kids were older. So I fi it finally happened, just not, not before I got married. All righty. What Jim and I had in common was farm life and big extended families. What we did not have in common was that I was evangelical and he was Catholic. What we did have in common was the experience of surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we had Jack Hayford's tape sent to us weekly and how helpful that was. I think most of you know Jack Hayford of the Majesty. He wrote Majesty. He wrote a lot of other songs, too. But he is he's a wonderful uh, communicator, and, and it was helpful for us. We also attended charismatic Catholic prayer meetings, uh, but probably the most important fellowship to us at that time was a Bible study of young couples from the town where Jim was teaching in Fulda, Minnesota. And uh, this Bible study, these couples uh, remain our friends and are important to us today. And, um, in fact, this past summer when we went back to Minnesota, we all got together and just shared and loved and laughed and reminisced. Um, we all raised pigs together, even what Jim taught, and we still raise pigs. Uh, we ladies uh, had a trio, and one of us played the piano, and we traveled to churches and sang. We prayed for our children. We prayed children into being. It was wonderful. That was 1974. We were in Fulda for three years and had that wonderful Bible study. Then in 1977, we moved back up to northern Minnesota to my farm, and we joined my parents on the family farm. I have to interrupt the story here to bring to light one of the more, most important decisions in my life. And uh, this one is hard for me uh, to relate uh, to tell, but I think it's important that I do because it was, it hit me with a ton of bricks right after I got married. When I was four, uh, my dad worked for a farmer in North Dakota for a couple of years, 
and the six-year-old daughter of the farmer he worked for introduced my younger sister and older brother to quote-unquote playing doctor, basically getting naked and touching each other's genitals. We did not tell mom. Which, of course, is the big problem. We did not tell mom. And it created a curiosity and secrecy that I indulged in until my complete surrender to Jesus at 12. The result of this, for me, was nightmares. I did not understand that nightmares could be a part of that kind of secrecy and sexual stuff until many years later when somebody described that night terrors could be the result of uh, molest, uh, even among children. Interestingly, my brother and sister did not experience the nightmares, but I sure did. After I was 12, they went away. But when I got married, that fear returned. And that was very confusing to me. Again, I felt the Lord nudging me to talk about this secrecy in my childhood. And shame and embarrassment flooded me when I thought of speaking of it. But I wanted freedom more. I remember clearly one night coming home from a fellowship, um, Bible study fellowship, time with Jim and our three uh, girls in the car. There had been vulnerability and confession of sin um, at this group, and I was determined that I needed to start bringing this childhood stuff to light. And I heard plainly in my head, you tell and I will kill your husband and children. Well, uh, then I knew who was behind all this secrecy and fear in me. It was the father of lies, of course. I had memorized portions of John 8, and I knew verse 44, where Jesus said, The devil is the father of lies and a murderer. I quoted that scripture to him and immediately told Jim. Freedom. I started. I still sp uh, battled fear for several years, but now I knew how to battle. And to say this clearly, Secrecy is the devil's playground. Even now, when I still want to not talk about that because I feel such shame with that. And I think that's really why it's so important to talk about it because he doesn't want it talked about. And he's the one that does the temptation and then he brings trots in with all the shame. Absolutely. And, you know, as you're sharing this, I won appreciate that you're willing to share because there are so many women listening who have the same story or a similar story and probably don't want to talk about it either. And just for them to know that they are not alone in that and that our greatest weapon against the enemy's lies and against the secrecy is is bringing things to light. And it reminds me actually of what you mentioned earlier, just that difference between guilt and conviction and shame and just sort of how all of that can get completely twisted and the truth gets all tangled up in there. To untangle it, you need light. <laughs> and and you did that, which is incredible. And I hope that's encouragement to those who are listening that there there really is a way to to detangle and, and come out of that darkness. Yes. And we all need a redeemer. <laughs> We desperately need a redeemer. And, and why pretend otherwise? 
Okay, back to the story. After our oldest daughter, Ruthie, was born, I miscarried several times. And we started listening to Kenneth Copeland on the authority of the believer. Again, I know that this name can bring in different feelings in many people. But for us, this was an important teaching for us. And uh, I know this sounds like we never attended church. We just listened to tapes, but that's not true. We always went to church, but we drank in all the encouragement in the Lord that we could get. And I was about three months pregnant with Sarah after several miscarriages when I started bleeding. And instead of thinking at that time, here we go again, we both started praying and speaking for this child to be saved. We even asked for her to be raised from the dead if she had died. And the bleeding stopped. I still battled fear that something was wrong with her. Uh, we didn't have an ultrasound. We never did ultrasounds in that time. So we didn't know that she was a her until she was born. But I asked the Lord to give me a sign. And Sarah was the most active baby in the womb I ever had. And she had the hiccups. I knew when she had the hiccups. <laughs> and she was born two weeks early, full of vim and vigor. Oh, what a faith builder that was. And again, we were so grateful for that decision to boldly pray and believe. And may I say here, this is my story and I'm not building a doctrine here. I am saying we needed to have that teaching on the authority of the believer in order for us to have, to pray boldly for our child and to have a child. And that's that. Farming with mom and dad was wonderful. Jim taught school and helped with the milking and field work in the summer. We prayed together with my folks every Saturday for the Lord to give us his direction. And we saw many answers to prayer on our well, for our farm. In fact, I'm going to just tell one story. We The hailstorm was coming toward our field of oats that was ready to harvest. And we knew it. And we saw, and we together, Jim and I asked the Lord to turn that storm and to stop it. And he did. Those, for young believers, that is huge stuff. I'm not going to say that every prayer we prayed was answered the way we wanted it to, but we had enough of them to know that there was a living God who heard us and wanted us to pray boldly. We began to dream that one day our farm would be used for ministry. And then um, in August of 1980, we joined Intercessors for America. I don't know if maybe some of the rest of you know of this organization, Intercessors for America, who pray specifically for America. And Jim and I took some time to wait on the Lord and do some confessing and repenting. And I, I don't know what prompted all of this. But here's what I remember is that this is what he wanted us to change. And this became truly our road less traveled. It, it has changed everything. That number one, we were to have no more indebtedness. 
Well, you must know farmers operate with loans. That's the way it goes. Very few farmers don't have loans. Uh, two, we were not to go to uh, the government for subsidies anymore. And again, farmers depend on subsidies. And the hardest one probably is that Jim was to change from being a public school teacher to being a Christian school teacher. All of these hit in the area of finances. We knew that Christian school teaching, it's, we found out very quickly that it's like half the salary of a public school teaching. But yet, I have to say that if we had not listened to that voice then, and if we had not heard from God and said, we'll do what you say, we would never have eventually come to the Flying H. So during our prayer time with our folks that next Saturday, we let them know what God showed us. And my poor father just wept and said, I don't know how to farm this way. And we believed that God was leading us to do a new thing on the farm. So we both agreed that we needed to have help from the outside. So we had a Bible study come in to help us through these waters of conflict. And out of that meeting, wouldn't you know, Jim and my dad decided to sell the farm. I did not expect that. I was so upset. I was bereft. And I told them that they certainly had not heard God. Well, I was wrong. And uh, God met me and spoke to me clearly in that voice that is bigger than all the senses. And he and I, I know exactly what he said. He said, I can take something else away so you worship me only like your hands, for instance. Well, by then we had uh, three little girls and I was very, I was a very busy mother. So I straightened up like a spoiled child and I said, thank you, God, for taking the farm. And that's the truth, though. I, I remember that both of those so clearly what he said and what I said. And I have to tell you, the farm sold within a week. And we were able to pay off most of the indebtedness uh, on that farm out of the auction. And then we carried a small note that the farm payments uh, from the guy who purchased the farm would take care of in the subsequent years. I have to say that when we go back to Minnesota, I do not visit the farm. It hasn't been kept up. And even though I know the sale was of God, the loss was huge to me. And I choose to keep my memories. Uh, the fall of 1980, my uh, parents moved out to McMinnville, Oregon, uh, where my brother and sister already lived. We moved to, we then, in January, moved to New Orleans, Louisiana in January of 1981, where Jim taught at his first Christian school. What an experience. You know, you have to know, we moved from a farm to... New Orleans, which is surrounded by water. We moved from the nearest neighbor being a mile away to a second-story apartment in a huge apartment complex. It was, I, I never did get used to that. And this school was a large school in an Assembly of God church, and we felt like fish out of water. 
Jim was an elementary teacher, but he was asked to teach high school classes. The school opened their doors to kids who had been kicked out of public schools. This actually ended up becoming training for what we do currently. It was a very difficult time, but we told the Lord we would stay there the rest of our lives if he asked us to. And gratefully, once we were willing to stay there, and we hated it, it was not easy, we were released. He released us. We finished out the school year and headed to Oregon. Jim had been offered a teaching job at Salem Academy for a fourth grade position. And that's how we became part of what is now Calvary Mac. In 1981, when we joined, it was McMinnville Christian Center. And we threw ourselves into the life of the church as much as we could. And we also had our fourth child, our first son in McMinnville. Now, my parents and I, and we had visited the Flying H Youth Ranch a couple of times while we lived in McMinnville. We only lived in McMinnville from 1981 to 1984. And But we'd visited the Flying H a couple of times in there uh, to visit a couple that we had been in a Bible study with in Minnesota. While visiting here uh, at the Flying H, we were asked to join the ranch staff to teach in a little community school on the ranch. In 1984, when we moved here, the boys still attended the local public school but there was a little Christian school on campus that Jim was asked to teach several grades at one time, like Little House on the Prairie type teaching. Our hesitation in coming at that time was that the Flying H was a totally by faith ministry. That was, that was tough. I mean, we had gone from public school salary to Christian school salary and now go to nothing. But Reverend Hires, who had founded the ranch, encouraged us that this is a life adventure and come on board. We do take care of each other, he said. So we moved to the ranch in August of 1984, and we've been here ever since. At first, uh, when we were here, we were encouraged not to mention our needs to anyone, but to see God answer our prayers. And... Often, we would put up a list of what our prayer needs were on the refrigerator and watch what God did. And at that point, there was what we called a manna board upstairs, where when a donation came in, they just divided it among all the staff. <laughs> Those were lean but precious years, and uh, we learned to pray and rely on our Father's goodness. Our last child, a son, was born during those years. Interestingly, a team of general practitioners in Yakima took on the ranch staff as a personal ministry and freely gave their services to our families. Can you imagine that? I mean, that was wonderful during those times. And a lot of babies were born during that time with the jar, uh, doctors charging us nothing for their services. And Jordan was one of those. And in fact, our youngest son, Jordan, considers his Dr. Harvison to be one of his great heroes.
since Jordan is a nurse anesthetist himself. So, okay, when Reverend Hires died in 1987, his um, son did not have the same by faith mission, and it troubled him to see families living on so little. And therefore, we were asked to start raising support from churches and individuals. And that's where Calvary Mac, former MCC, comes in. They started supporting us right away and became our quote-unquote sending church. Many powerful prayers have been prayed over us for 30-plus years. And even though it's been difficult to think of myself as a missionary since my childhood church supported foreign missionaries, uh, really that is what we are. We are missionaries. And in 1985, we changed from being a group home under the state to being a boarding school. And we started school in a very homeschool fashion. We had all the boys, we lined up in our living room at the, the lodge at the ranch, 36 desks we had in that living room. We'd have school and then we'd take the desks out and have life. <laughs> And right away, I was the English teacher and filled in with other classes as needed because our kids were going to school with Jim in the other little Christian school. Of course, I had a baby then too, Jordan, but he went to classes with me. All our children uh, have been educated in this little Christian school and went on to other education. And I have to say... Very proud of our kids, but proud of our little Christian school. What, you know, staff just threw themselves into making it work. We have three kids. One is a RN, another daughter who is a dental hygienist. Our son in the military is, he actually got his doctor of nurse anesthetist degree. I cannot say that word. And then our other two kids are entrepreneurs. Our daughter in, in Spokane runs a cleaning business, and our son in Texas uh, runs a coffee shop. We're, we're very proud of what they're able to do. They learn to do chores, but they I, we feel like they really learn to, to work and to serve at a local restaurant that was just 10 miles down the road. It was there that they they did so well there, they were able to buy their own cars and pay their own way through college. And uh, gratefully, they all married Christian spouses, and they are raising their children to be followers of Jesus. We are so grateful. We have 20 grandchildren, and our quiver is very full. The Little Christian School became an umbrella for homeschool families in 2003, and Jim and I since then have dedicated our teaching time completely to the boys' school. And we've weathered many storms and conflicts on the ranch, as you can imagine, you know, 12 to 15 families living together, uh, we learn to live together. And we are so glad that we have weathered this and God has been faithful to keep us engaged in trusting him. Uh, our thrill is that we get to work with these families who are in crisis 
and we get to love on and train their boys in the ways of the Lord. Our uh, dream of living on a farm and ministering through hospitality and our teaching abilities has absolutely been fulfilled these last 37 plus years. It just wasn't on the Minnesota farm as I thought it would be. My childhood commitment to missions certainly has come to pass as well. I just thought it would be Africa where I'd have to eat monkeys and rats or South America where I'd likely die a martyr like Jim Elliott. But it's just as assuredly been a fulfillment of a dream as any of the other would be. So now we're currently living through one of the greatest hurdles we have ever faced. Jim being diagnosed with metastatic stage 4 melanoma cancer. It has now been two years since the diagnosis, and we are so grateful that Jim is feeling well and winning against the cancer. We are so grateful that we continue to have meaningful ministry on the ranch and that we can participate as much as we are able. Jim's main focus is still teaching math, but he also does work crews and youth service shifts with the boys as needed. My main focus is the kitchen, cooking, organizing, cleaning, and I spend a day in the classroom every week or so teaching grammar and poetry. Life is good. Patty, you've shared so many just incredible life chapters. And we've had a chance to kind of touch on some of them, of course, but I wanted to give you just a chance uh, to tell a little bit about how those who maybe are interested in a little more about the Flying H Ranch, hearing what you're doing, maybe they're inspired to support you in some way, whether that's financially or just uh, maybe it's through prayer, or maybe, maybe somebody's interested in coming to serve there or, or work there in some way, or maybe they know a, a young a young boy who could really benefit from that. So if you don't mind just taking a couple minutes to maybe explain how people can get connected, that would be great. Yeah, our office address, which I, I know the church has, is 370 Flying H Loop, Natchez, Washington, which is where you can always get connected. And also uh, our phone number, our office phone number is 509-658-2990. So those are good connecting numbers there. And, and you know, tell them to call me. The, it's better to, to call me personally. What's unique about this ministry is that we do not live on government funds. As a seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day boarding school, we have many needs. For one thing, we need certified teachers. All this is for that family that is in distress. That becomes worth it. We take boys, basically, they need to stay 18 months. And uh, and that is quite a commitment on the part of the parents. But if they know, and it, it's private pay, parents do have to pay, but we do have some scholarship funds. 
one of the things that we do is unplug them from the electronics so they can have 18 months without without the phone and the internet and the gaming running their lives and and that can really help them to make some good decisions uh, as one young man said this school is a credit recovery program we do, we help them get through school um, within a week we are going to be graduating a young man who stayed here after he was 18 uh which took quite a commitment on his part because he didn't want to, but he wanted to graduate. So he's going to be graduating next Thursday. And we and we do that for guys, get them through school. I would say the the academic and vocational portion of what we do is some of the best. Although I have to tell you that uh, the discipline portion, just learning to say yes, learning to do chores, learning to do dishes. I mean, those are those are big things in the life of a lazy young man and, and one who has caused a lot of chaos in his family. That's what we're about. And I have to tell you, I don't know if there's any of these guys that I don't desperately love by the time they leave. They just really grow close to us and our hearts are I really stirred. Uh, Tuesday night, we had two young men here for dinner, and we played cards. It, we're we're like family for a while, and that's a very good thing. I love the picture you painted because I think it's such a model of of God's love for us that kind of no matter what our background, no matter what we've done or haven't haven't done, that that He just adores us and welcomes us in and calls us his family, calls us his own. And, and you're really doing that. You're really being the hands and feet of Jesus to these young boys. And it's, it's remarkable. And I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing. And I want to thank you for opening up your story to us. There's so many different chapters and yet, and yet they're all connected and it's a, it's a beautiful story. And I love what God is writing for you. In closing, I was hoping you would pray for our listeners and specifically women who really have identified with your story and maybe women who are called into the mission field in some way, or maybe women who are looking to take a secret and bring it to the light or those who are struggling with the difference between guilt and conviction or or really just any part of your story that, that spoke to a listener's heart, if you just have that in mind while you while you pray for them. Our dear Heavenly Father, so grateful that you are our Father. You are good, and we are not, and yet you're here to make us good. And so grateful for that, praying for any who are listening, that they would say yes in multiple ways to you. And when it seems scary to say yes, to say yes anyway and see what you can do. And it's especially hard to say yes when religiously we are frozen into one place. And yet, oh, so grateful for your Holy Spirit who can lead us into all truth. And uh, it's good truth. And you care for us and love us and want what is best for us. And I just pray. I, I pray for us to love your word 
to let your word speak life and light to us and lead us to Jesus. Oh, so grateful this time of the year, especially that, and as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And that's what we are becoming, children of God. So grateful. So grateful. You are our God, and you have called us to be your children, your inheritors. And our our story, <laughs> our story is your story. And we do not have to live in the dark places. So grateful for that. Yes, if we walk in the light as you are in the light, we can have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And that's the best news anybody could ever have. That's the best best answer to any prayer, that we can walk in the light and that we are completely covered by your blood. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again so much, Patty. And, you know, I just want to leave listeners with something that you said at the very, very beginning that you printed off uh, your story after, you know, in preparation for this, you wrote it out and you gave copies to to family members. And I uh, clearly am a big proponent of us sharing our stories and having those available for generations to come. I think there's so much value in that. So ladies who are listening, I know that, you know, sharing your story at a big live event or sharing your story on a public podcast, that's not for everybody. And and God doesn't call every story to, to that place. But I do think he calls every story to be shared to at least one other person in some way. He's, he's written a beautiful story for your life with a purpose and it is valuable. So I wanted to thank you, Patty, for sharing that. I think that's incredible. And again, really appreciate you coming on to record this with us and ladies who are listening. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. We hope you were blessed and encouraged and we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.